Thanks for joining us today for the Fellowship Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, visit fbcpanamacity.com. Now, here's today's message. I can't possibly think of a better uh, sermon for this church at, from me than this one. God has, I don't, from the beginning of this year, God really ministered to me over and over again with Philippians chapter one. I read through it in my Bible reading and it really ministered to me. And then I heard sermons and, and devotionals about it like throughout the year. It just seemed like God kept bringing me back to this passage and especially chapter one. So I've really fallen in love with the truth found here. This book of the Bible was written um, around AD 60. It was written in Rome where the apostle Paul was under house arrest. Uh, he's awaiting his trial. And throughout his imprisonment uh, there in Rome, friends and colleagues of his would come visit him and, um, or, and send uh, gifts and all kinds of things like that. But one of his guests came and stayed with him. It was a man named Epaphroditus from the city of Philippi. And Epaphroditus ministered to Paul and he, and he ministered with him, spreading the gospel until he became very, very sick and he almost died. Thankfully, God spared his life. And when he was well enough to travel, Paul sent Epaphroditus home to Philippi, the recipient of this letter, the church at Philippi. When Epaphroditus left, he sends, Paul sends with him a gift. And that gift may have seemed small to Paul. I don't know, but I know to the city of Philippi, uh, it was priceless. And it's priceless to us to this day. It was this letter that we know as the book of Philippians. In this letter, Paul does a number of things. He thanks the church for their generosity. He updates them on his condition. He gives Epaphroditus a glowing commendation for his service while assisting him. But most importantly, Paul writes to the Philippians about their their fellowship in the gospel. And uh, we're called Fellowship Baptist Church. And our fellowship is in the gospel. He tells them, uh, he, he calls them to unity, he calls them to steadfastness, and he does it with a, such a tone of joyfulness, even though he's, he's imprisoned, he's not even free. And he does it with such joy that this epistle has become known as the epistle of joy. And so let's read together verses one through eight, and let's talk for a few minutes about this fellowship we have in the gospel. It says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ even as it is meet for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart. Inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye, are all, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we ask you as we get into your word this morning, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would encourage us with the truth we find, that you transform us to be more like you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. A pastor that I'm friends with uh, was in his lobby just after a Christmas service. And he saw somebody that had showed up only for the Christmas service trying to escape and he knew him. And he yells out to him and he says, Jack, he says, why don't you join the Lord's army? We'd like to see you every Sunday. And um, he says, pastor, I am part of the Lord's army. He says, well, then how come we only see you at Easter and Christmas? And he said, I'm part of the secret service. Now, that's funny as that answer is, every one of us have had to deal with, either with others or in our own hearts, whether we truly understand what the church is. 
Uh, is the church just a collection of individuals? Is, is the church something I just show up for on Christmas and Easter? Is it a place? Is it an event? Is it a time? Is it a series of programs? Is it just a group of people with varying interests, expectations, demands, and ideas? We've experienced this here, as all churches do. Somebody who comes in and their entire presence seems to say, bless me if you can. And by the way, I really hope you can cater to my needs. Some think, I hope my preferences and expectations are met. Some think, I hope I get the credit I deserve. Some think, uh, I hope that I get the power and the prestige that I want here. Because if not, I'll just pick up and go find another church across town. Is the church just a collection of individuals like that? Or is it something more? I believe what Paul says in this passage answers this question. He starts off in verse three. Look what he says. Verse three, he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Um, See, first thing you see from Paul when he thinks about the church, about this partnership, this fellowship in the gospel, the first thing he has is gratitude. Have you ever had somebody that you could say about this? You could say this about them. Every time I think about you, I'm so thankful to God. Isn't that a wonderful thing to say to somebody? Every time I think about you, I am so grateful to God. That's quite a thing to say. I'm sure he had picked people in his mind as he's writing the letter. Maybe he's thinking about the uh, Lydia, the young wealthy woman who allowed the church to meet in her home. Maybe he's thinking about the Philippian jailer who was one of the first members of this church in Philippi. I'm sure he could see those people in his mind. I can sympathize with this. I'm gonna move to North Carolina and you know what? I'm gonna think about this church often and when I do, I'm gonna think of faces that are gonna come to my mind. And I'm gonna be brought, I'm gonna be so grateful. It's gonna bring me gratitude. I'm gonna be thankful. That's what Paul's feeling as he writes this letter. But I also believe he's thinking about his relationship to the church of Christ as a whole. Uh, He says, like the whole body of Christ. He's thankful for the body of Christ. And we should be thankful for the body of Christ, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we be thankful for the church? The church is a wonderful thing. Romans 1 describes the culture that's completely against God. If you read through Romans 1, it talks about all of the, the kind of people that are totally, totally, totally against God. And what is it? one of the first characteristics it describes of them? It says, neither were they thankful. We ought to be a thankful people. We ought not to come to church looking for something to nitpick, looking for some way to be slighted. We ought to come with gratitude. We ought to think about one another and be grateful. You know, I said a good church is like a good family. It's hard to be thankful for your family sometimes, isn't it? But we should be. When you remember your church, do you remember it with thankfulness? I I believe I stand on good ground when I say you have a good church. Do you remember it with gratitude? And, And specifically, your relationship to the church as a whole, what is it? Is it one of thankfulness? What comes to your mind when you think about your church? We should be thankful that we have a place we can come to every single Sunday where God promises that when we're gathered together and we pray together and we worship together, he will meet with us. Isn't that a special thing? I can't help but look forward to Sundays because to be gathered with you and to worship with you and to pray for one another and to care for one another, to love one another, that's a powerful thing. It's life, it's a life-changing thing. I'm, I'm evidence of that. What we need, God gives us here and we gather together. Sometimes we need rebuked. 
from the preaching of God's word. Sometimes we need exhorted. Sometimes we need to take the Lord's Supper. But whatever we need, we get it when we gather together. What do you think when you think of the church? Paul says, when I think of you every time, so grateful. And his gratitude leads him to joyful prayer. Look what he says in verse four. Always in every prayer of mine for you, for you all, making requests with joy. So his gratitude leads him to pray for them. Uh, he says that, uh, and when he says every prayer of mine, he's saying, I'm always praying for you. Uh, if I could say it this way, he says, every time I pray for me, I never forget to pray for you. Man, that's a powerful thing. Our gratitude for the church should lead us to pray for one another. Dr. Dave Young preached a great message last week and he had two big points and one of them was prayer and he did such a great job preaching on prayer. To be honest with you, it was convicting for me. And this passage is convicting for me because it's easy for me to think that I'm grateful for you and yet spend far too little time in prayer for the people that I say that I'm grateful for. What Paul's teaching us here is this. We've never lacked the time to pray. We've lacked the gratitude to pray. Are you thankful for the church? Does it lead you to joyful prayer? But what is he thankful for? He says it in verse five. Look what he says. For your fellowship in the gospel. For your fellowship in the gospel. That word fellowship, uh, the name of this church, uh, it's a word that means uh, in other places in the Bible, it's actually translated partnership or participation. See, we use the word fellowship a little differently than they used to back then. Fellowship doesn't just mean having fried chicken. We call that the fellowship hall, right? Yeah, we like, we like fried chicken too. No, no, I'm not hating on the fried chicken. But that's not what this word means. We often use the word fellowship and what we mean by it is anytime we're doing the same thing in the same place, feeling that warmth of friendship, right? That camaraderie. I mean, this means so much more than that. That's a, that's a lot weaker of a meaning than what he's saying here. This word would be more fitting of a group of people who invested their money into a business together and it was sink or swim. We're in this together. That's what this word entails. This isn't just having uh, dinner rolls next door. This is, this is true gospel partnerships. This is deep. Paul is saying, friends, we are deeply tied together in gospel partnership. He's saying, we ain't just like a family. We are a family. We're in this together. And by the way, it doesn't mean physically together at all. It can't because they weren't. Paul is imprisoned in Rome and they're in Philippi. They're not even in the same place. And he knows as he writes this, he might never see them again. He's saying there's a partnership. There's a unity that binds us, that no circumstances, no persecution, no trouble, no pain, no geographical distance can stop it. It runs deeper than that. That's the partnership we have. That's the fellowship we have in the gospel. I'm going to pastor in North Carolina. Sometimes when I say it, it still shocks me. I wake up from a long night of sleep once in a while. Well, not too many long nights of sleep lately, but I wake up, I wake up from a night of sleep and it, and it hits me. I think, are we actually doing that? It still hits me like a ton of bricks. But friends, I'm, I'm leaving somewhere I've lived for 32 years, but we'll still be partners. We'll still have fellowship in the gospel because nothing on this earth can shake the fellowship of the church. You know why? Because of what our fellowship is in. What does it say here? Our fellowship in the gospel. Your fellowship in the gospel. 
Hey, what are we united by, church? Say it with me, the gospel. What are we partners in? Say it with me, the gospel. What brings us together? The gospel. Nothing else. And what is the gospel? That God is holy and that we are not. (laughs) And we've earned, rightfully, God's wrath. And we have no way to bridge that gap. But Jesus, we've been singing about it this morning, came across time and space, loved us when we were unlovely, lived a perfect life, the life we should have lived, and then laid down his life and died the death that we deserve to die. That through his grace, through faith in him, we can be forgiven and restored and reconciled to God. Aren't you thankful for the gospel this morning? And if you haven't put your faith in the gospel, that'd be the greatest decision you could ever make. The end of verse five, he says, from the first day till now, Bible historians say that it's been about 10 years this church has been planted there. And Paul says, for all this time, what has bound us together in partnership is the gospel. That is what unites us, friends. Uh, Not the pastor, (laughs) the gospel. Not programs and ministries, not preferences, not our performances, not our ideas or our campaigns, not our politics, not our race, not our social or financial class, not our worship style, the gospel. Can I say it this way? The only way for a church to stay united is to keep its focus on our fellowship in the gospel. Paul says our fellowship is in the gospel. First, he's grateful for a gospel partnership, but secondly, he has confidence in the gospel's assurances. Look at verse six. He says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. First of all, he says, being confident of this very thing. Now, you and I might say that, and what we mean is we're pretty sure. That is not what he means. He's, when he says, I am confident, he is saying, I am absolutely sure. I'm absolutely sure. Paul's got a lot of confidence. He's saying, I expect great things for you. I believe God has given us the spirit of fear, or not of fear, but of love and a sound mind. He's saying, we should expect, you should expect, church, great things from God. You should expect great things. And friends, I expect great things for Fellowship Baptist Church. But why does Paul expect the great things? Two reasons. First, he says, because he has begun a good work in you. I heard H.B. Charles say it this way. I love it. He says, Paul's saying here, I'm confident for you, but my confidence is not really in you. I'm confident for what God is doing you, but my confidence is not really because of you. It really has nothing to do with you. (laughs) I am sure that good things are coming for you because of he I am confident, I have confidence because of him that he which begun a good work in you, not not in you, how, how fickle we are, no. I have assurance because I know the one who began this in you. And I'm telling you, friends, when we have confidence in God, we know that the gospel work will continue. It's not because of how faithful we are. It's not because of how smart we are. It's not because of how amazing we are. How many of you could look at this last week and say, I'm grateful he didn't choose me because of how impressive I am. Amen. God began it by his grace and through his power. And he says, I began the good work in you. This good work, the work that God's doing in you, church, is the work of God's redemptive plan in the world. And you get to be part of it. Isn't that great? Isn't that amazing? Ephesians 1 says over there that before the foundation of the world, that you were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. That means before God said, let there be light, he was devising his redemptive plan and you were on his mind. Isn't that amazing? We get to be part of something that God's doing. 
And he's not just doing a good work for us. It says he's doing a good work in us. God is doing a work in you. Boy, a lot of days it doesn't feel like God's doing much. That's not a whole lot of work of God going on, doesn't it? You have a really bad day. You have a really bad week. It doesn't feel much like God's work. God says, I'm doing a work in you. I'm grateful he's working on me to make me what I ought to be. But the second reason Paul has such great expectations for the church is because he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it. He will perform it. He started it. He's going to finish it. He's saying the second way, the second reason I'm confident is because I serve a God who finishes what he starts. Aren't you glad we serve a God who finishes what he starts? He says the God who began it will complete it. And brothers and sisters, I don't need confidence in you to have confidence for you. God is going to do amazing things in you, and he's going to do it because God always finishes what he starts. And that's powerful because it, isn't it great to know it's not all on you? You can't mess up something God's doing. You can try, and you can mess up something you're doing, but you can't mess up what God's doing. God finishes what he starts. God is building his church. And Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The kingdom of God's marching on. God finishes what he starts. There's a phrase in this verse that's only used in one other place in the scripture. It's, it's used in Galatians 3.3, 3, where Paul in Galatians is dealing with these false teachers who are saying, yeah, um, he, they're telling new believers that the work that God started by the spirit, that they needed to complete it by the works of the flesh. And in that case, it was circumcision. And Paul, I'm paraphrasing Paul, but he says, are you so foolish to think that what you has begun in the spirit, you can perfect it in the flesh? He's saying, my friends, are you crazy? I've been a Christian for most of my life. And if it's taught me one thing, it's taught me this. When I try to move spiritual stones in my flesh, they fall back down on top of me. I cannot do what only God can do. And brothers and sisters, that's a comfort too because you are not able to take over the project that God started. <laughs> you aren't qualified. What God has done in the power of his spirit cannot be improved on with our achievements. This is his church and he begun it and we are his project. And we serve a God who finishes what he starts. You know, there's all kinds of things in my life I'm not gonna finish. Things that you start and for whatever reason, maybe you run out of resources, maybe you run out of strength, maybe you get sick. Maybe you just find better things to do and decide it wasn't worth doing. But in the final tally at the end of your life, there's going to be things that you're going to have, it's going to be marked incomplete. Paul is saying here, not so with God. Everything he starts, he finishes. And by the way, this is why you should not be dominated by worry. I know it's easy to get worrisome. I don't know what darkness you're facing. Some of you, I do know darkness that you're facing. It may be a bad chapter, but can I tell you something? If it's a bad chapter, it means it's not the final chapter. God is doing the work in us. God's stories don't end with bad chapters. And this is why also you shouldn't feel overwhelmed even by your failures. Because you're not a finished project yet. God is not done with you. When you fall short, fall into God's grace and get up. And move forward. You are not powerful enough to ruin what God's doing. Your sins, whatever they are, they're no match for God's grace and they're no equal to God's good work in you. Don't let Satan lord, failures over, lord your failures over you. Say to him, devil, I serve a God who finishes what he starts. Now move along. 
So we see Paul's gratitude, and then we see his confidence in the gospel's assurances. Lastly, we see his affection for his gospel community, and we'll be done here. Look at verse 7 and 8. He says, even as it is meet for me to think this of y'all, he's saying it's only right for me to feel this way about you because I have you in my heart. And that's the way, that's the way a family might talk about each other, isn't it? I have you in my heart. Isn't that the way it sure should be? Shouldn't it be that you're accepted and loved here in a way that you just can't find anywhere else? And that you love and accept your brothers and sisters the same way? Shouldn't it be that the church holds each other in our hearts? How can we do that? He says, he tells us right here. He says that we are all, look what he says at the end of verse seven. Ye are all partakers of my grace. You know how you can love people like that supernaturally? Whatever flaws, you can love them anyway. By realizing we all need the same grace. You don't need more grace than I needed. We all need the same grace. And Paul says here, I love you this way and I feel this way about you. It's only right for me to feel this way about you because you are partakers of the same grace that I've received. He didn't feel this way about them because they were a perfect church. There's, by the way, you find a perfect church, don't go to it, you'll mess it up. There's no such thing as a perfect church. He's not saying this because he feels so that there's such a perfect church. Matter of fact, he's writing this letter to address some things even. They were a worrisome church. They were a fearful church. Chapter four, three or four, I believe it is, he has to help two sisters reconcile. And he asks the church to kind of get involved and help them. It's not a perfect church. But he realizes they've received the same grace I have. You know, to help you when, even when you're struggling with your brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, over four and a half years, I haven't always seen eye to eye with everybody in this building. I know it's surprising, but I've not always seen eye to eye. You know what? You know what's helped you love me anyway? You know, it's helped me love you anyway. We all need the same grace. We're all the same sinners and we need God's help. And you see the source of Christian love here. He doesn't just, he says, I miss you and I love you and I love you because Jesus loves you. He says, I love you. Look at verse eight. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. He says, I love Jesus and I see how Jesus loves you. I can't help but love you because Jesus loves you. You know, uh, the church is the bride of Christ. If you don't like my wife, we're not going to be very good friends. You are Jesus's bride. And if you love Jesus, you'll love his church. He says, I love you the way Jesus loves you. I love you. I love you with a little piece of that. The bowels of Christ. What he means by the bowels of Christ. You ever love somebody so much you feel it? You ever love somebody else, you have a physical symptom? Maybe you think they're in danger and something happens in your gut. That's what this means when it says the bowels of Christ. He's saying, I am physically moved by how much I love you. And the only way you can get that kind of supernatural love is by identifying with Jesus, learning to love the things that Jesus loves. Friends, Jesus is perfect and he loves us completely. What should that mean? That should mean that we as sinners should be able to love other sinners. Jesus loves the church and that's good because we're the church, but it also means we should love the church deeply. Brothers and sisters, because of what God has begun, because of what God is doing in us, we can have the confidence that Paul has here. The same expectation that he has, we can say, I know good things are coming because, I, because what we have as the church is a fellowship 
in the gospel. We aren't just a club. We're not just a membership. We're not just a collection of various individuals with our own agendas. We are a church. We're a family. We're a body. And we're God's project. And what God started in us will not be continued in our strength. We can have that confidence because this church was begun by God for his glory and he finishes what he starts. This morning, let me encourage you with this. To have gratitude for that gospel fellowship. Let me encourage you as it did to Paul for that gratitude to move you to pray for one another. Enjoy, joyful prayer. And let me encourage you to have great expectations because of the gospel's assurances, because you know the one who began this in you and he finishes what he starts. And let me encourage you to have deep affection for the church, the object of Jesus' love. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Fellowship Baptist Church. Come visit us at 2501 Michigan Avenue, Panama City, Florida. For more information, check out fbcpanamacity.com. Have a great week.